0: Welcome to week three of Won't You Be My Neighbor. The first week we looked at who is our neighbor and how do we neighbor well. Um, We're focusing on how do we love our neighbors as ourselves. This week I want to talk to you about how far do you go in helping people. I have a dear friend who came to me one day and said that they had just started a new job and the person that they were working with had a severe health crisis and needed a kidney. And so my friend said to me, I think I should give one of my kidneys to them. And I was startled and said to my friend, what, what would make you think that? You don't, you don't even know this person that well. And you've got a family with young children, and is this really the responsible thing to do? And this person said to me, well, I'm thinking that maybe God is talking to me about this, and I have two kidneys, and they need a kidney. And if I gave them a kidney, I'd still have a kidney. And their life would improve dramatically. And I talked them out of it. Was I right or wrong? I don't know. But I talked them out of it. I've been wrestling my whole life with trying to figure out how far do you go in helping people? Holly and I have opened up our home to homeless people and invited them to come in and stay in our home, and we fed them. We've given them food to go on their journey, and our little kids have been sleeping down the hallway, down from the homeless family that we took in. Holly and I have given money to people who promised that they would give it back and we never heard from them again. Were we naive or were we led by the Spirit? Or maybe a little bit of both. I think every sincere Christian who wants to be a follower of Jesus, somewhere along the way has to wrestle with the question of how far do you go in helping people? How much is enough? I mean, look at the logic here. If Jesus Christ loves us so much that he died on the cross for our sins, and we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. If, if you needed a kidney, wouldn't you appreciate it if somebody came to you and said, I have two, you need one, I'll give you one? Wouldn't you want that? Doesn't that mean neighboring well? What does it look like for a manual to neighbor well? I read an article this week about... Um, First Presbyterian Church in Durham, North Carolina, who has asked their congregation to raise $50,000 in order to purchase and forgive medical debt owed by people in their community. I didn't even know that was a thing. That was brand new. Did you know that you could purchase medical debt for pennies on the dollar? So 50, 000, So this church, First Presbyterian Church, they can purchase $50,000 And for $5 million of medical debt. So this church just decided that the way that they were loving their community was to raise $50,000 so that they could forgive $5 million of people's medical debt. Is, Is that what it means for Emmanuel to love our neighbor well? Now, right now, some of you are like, no. While others are like, I never thought about that. Maybe we should take an offering. What does it look like for us to neighbor well? These questions really need Holy Spirit discernment. And so this message today is about how to love our neighbors in a responsible way. Now, here's my default. I think most of us need to go further than what we're actually doing on a regular basis but not so far that we give harm and that's the premise of this message. So I'm going to invite you to stand Mark chapter 2 verses 1 through 12 and we're going to look at four men who went pretty far in helping their friend who was paralyzed. Mark chapter 2. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. So the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Yeah. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat and walk. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. Would you bow your heads? Holy Spirit. We're trying to figure out how to love you with our heart, soul, mind and strength and what it means to love our neighbor as ourself. And I think most of us, whether we're in the room or online participating, have wrestled at one time or another with this idea of how much should I help? Would you help us today to get a little bit further on in that journey, to listen to your spirit figure that out. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Capernaum was Jesus' headquarters for his ministry in the Sea of Galilee area, and there's every indication that the home that Jesus was in, whose roof was taken apart, was actually Jesus' house. Did you know that? Either Jesus was given that house for the period of time in his public ministry there, or he was renting it. But most Bible scholars believe it was actually Jesus' house. The four men had a friend that they cared for very deeply, and when they heard that Jesus was back in town, they decided to bring their friend to Jesus. Now, houses back then were built of stone, like many houses today, but they were usually one story, which means that they, almost every house had a set of stairs going up the side of the house in order to get to the roof. In those days, it was so hot, just like it is today in, in, in the Sea of Galilee area and in Jerusalem, all of Israel. You know, you don't want to be in Israel in June, July, and August because it's regularly about 105, 110 degrees. It's just sweltering hot. So what people would do is, is that early in the morning or late at night, they would climb up the side steps and they'd get on the roof of their house, and that's where they'd have dinner. That's where they do a lot of living just because it was a lot cooler up there. I want you to think about how far these four men went in helping their paralyzed friend. Number one, they disrupted a public gathering. I mean, there's a lot of people, right? Don't discount this. There's a lot of people. I mean, there's a lot of people here today. Imagine if suddenly light was beginning to shine through of our roof, and you begin to hear all these kinds of things going on, and all of a sudden everybody's just like looking up. What's happening? Whoa, look out for that. Second, they risked appearing too extreme. Today we might use the phrase, who does that? Who does that? That's kind of crazy. They're extreme. Why didn't they just wait until Jesus was finished teaching? Notice also they destroyed somebody else's personal property. And they would be responsible to pick up the cost. Now, if there's any insurance agents here, you could just imagine, you you know, you're sitting there and you're watching this this roof being taken apart and you've got your calculator out. Mm -mm -mm. Do they have homeowners? Who's responsible for all this? They are. They're going to have to put the roof back together. But their faith paid off because not only did their friend receive a healing so that he could walk again, but his sins were forgiven and revival broke out and people were shouting and giving praise to God and they were saying, we've never seen anything like this before. So what does this passage of scripture, this this beautiful story, and some other passages of scripture in the Bible, what does it have to say to us about how far do we go in helping people, and how do we help people responsibly? Five thoughts. Number one, I think if you're going to love your neighbor responsibly, I think you need to be prepared to be uncomfortable Matthew 14, 29 says, Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Have you discovered in your own Christian journey that every once in a while, God calls you to get out of the boat? What I mean by that is to get out of your comfort zone. We all have this comfort zone that we're in. And every once in a while, the Lord Jesus Christ touches our heart. There's a need in front of us. God kind of nudges us to say, hey, I want you to go and do that. I want you to go and say that. And our immediate response is, no, no, no. We're not doing that. No. Well, you just need to be prepared if you're going to help people in a responsible way to get uncomfortable. I think if I was one of the men there, I would have been uncomfortable comfortable helping my friend as well. I've already mentioned about the temperature. You know, have you ever carried a heavy weight a long distance in 100 degree weather? You get a little sweaty, don't you? And imagine the fact of how it was to navigate up the side stairs, getting up to the roof. We talk about the faith of these four men, like they had great faith and they did, that Jesus would heal their friend. But imagine being on the mat and you're being carried up the stairs. You're looking over the edge like, uh, you guys got me, right? Because I'm going to be in worse shape if you guys drop me. You know what I mean? It took real effort to tear a large section of the roof off lower and to lower the man down in front of Jesus. What would have made me uncomfortable, to be honest with you, is that all of these eyes are on me as I'm navigating Bringing this man down in front of Jesus. Helping people typically means getting out of your comfort zone. You know, the first time I went to a prison to serve in prison ministry, I felt pretty uncomfortable. The first time I took a work and witness trip to Kenya, I felt pretty uncomfortable. We had just gotten off the plane. Then we had drove about two and a half hours to get to our children's home in in, in Boney. And um, we got off of the van. All of us are exhausted. We hadn't slept in 30 hours. And the head of the children's home looks at me and says, Pastor Mark, give us a devotional. And I was like, "Uh, I don't know. I don't even know where my Bible is. That's okay. Give us a word from the Lord. And I stood up for 20 minutes. And just started giving a devotional. And the whole time I'm thinking, am I making this up? Am I really asleep? (laughs) It was just a little uncomfortable for me. Can I tell you to this day when I stand up and preach, I get butterflies in my stomach. I just do. Loving your neighbor as yourself for most of us means pushing past your awkward feelings and doing the opposite of what you really feel like doing. Number two, count the cost before you help. Luke, 24, Luke 14, 28 says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Just like you need to count the cost if you're going into a construction project in your home to figure out if you really have the resources, the funding, you know, all that to make sure that the project is completed, we need to do the same thing when it comes to helping other people. The four men who carried their friend to Jesus did not act spontaneously, even though it may look like they did. They actually had a plan. And then when they got to the house after carrying this man, who knows how far, and they realized that they could not get into the house, they improvised, made another plan, went up the side steps and began to dismantle the roof because they were determined that their plan was gonna succeed. Sometimes our desire to help, to be honest, is a knee-jerk reaction to an emotional response. We hear a heartfelt story and we say to ourselves, I wanna help, and then we sign up. Or then we promise to do something and then a day later, we realize you don't have the time, you don't have the resources, you don't have the skill set to do any of the things that you just signed up for, and you're like, mm, boy, I don't know if I should have done that. Helping people in a responsible way usually means praying about it, thinking it through, looking at your calendar, looking at your finances, talking to your family to see if you can actually follow through with your help. Number three. I think we need to help people with the goal of them not needing our help anymore. The four friends wanted to help their friend get to the place where he could walk, where he could work again, when he could fun- where he could function independently. Can I just be honest and say that so much of our helping actually says more about us than it does about the other person. We want to help somebody because it fills a need in our own life and we actually end up overhelping people because we're getting something back from it. Rather than actually helping that person get to a place where they don't need any help anymore. Notice 2, Corinthians, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verses 6 through 10. And now dear brothers and sisters, stay away from all believers who live idle lives and don't follow the tradition that they have received from us. We never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard day and night so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. What? That sounds really harsh. What's going on? Did you know that First and Second Thessalonians were the earliest of Paul's letters? And there was a general assumption In the early church that Jesus was going to return in the same generation that he left so when Jesus promised that he would return everybody in the early church thought 10 years 20 years maybe maybe 30 no one expected Jesus to not return in the same generation And so when Paul is writing his letter to the church in Thessalonica, they're all, all of us, you know, they're all newly believers. You know what I'm saying? And so what happened in Thessalonica was something a little bit unique, but we see it happen sometimes in human history. And there's lots of documentation of this is that when people think that the Lord is coming back, they get crazy. They quit their jobs. They run up their credit cards. They sell their homes and they were like, well, Jesus is going to return in the next uh, couple weeks or next couple years. What do I have to worry about? And here's what was happening in Thessalonica. People quit their jobs, weren't working, and they were sponging off of other people. Hey, it's Tuesday. Can I come over to your house? Your servants this pasta night, right? Wednesday, steak tips all right, see you next Wednesday. And you know, I mean, people are loving, kind, and gracious in Thessalonica, but you know, they beginning to this like, I don't know, I think Bobby needs to get a job. <laughs> I mean, I know the Lord may be coming, but I'm running a little bit low on pasta. So you know what Paul says? Paul writes the ship. And Paul says, hey, if you don't work, you don't eat. And that righted the ship to become more responsible in people's behavior. Your goal should be to help people until they are able to help themselves. And once they're able to help themselves, you take a sanctified step back and you just go, way to go. That's your goal. Number four, this is a sticky one. Be aware that overhelping can actually hurt. Galatians chapter 6, verses 2 and 5, actually that whole section, 2 through 5, I've just, for the purposes of of just clarity, I've just taken verse 2 and verse 5, but the whole section talks about a little contradictory item. Verse 2 says, carry each other's burdens... And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. That's pretty obvious, right? Is that we ought to be burden bearers. If you've got a burden, I ought to carry your burden because carrying your burden is going to make your burden a lot lighter. But oddly, in verse 5, the Apostle Apostle Paul goes on to say, for each of you should carry their own load. Okay, what does that mean? I mean, on the one hand, we're supposed to carry each other's burdens. On the other hand, we're not supposed to carry... We're supposed to just carry our own load. The difference lies in what the two words mean. The Greek word for burden in verse 2 refers to a weight of eternal significance. Now, it could be a character flaw. It could be a sin that weighs you down. It could be a particular struggle that you're going through. It could be that one of your kids is going through a really hard time and you don't know what to do. And so we're supposed to carry each other's burdens in that sense. So that's why we have prayer requests, right? Can you pray for me? Because my kid's not prospering right now. Hey, you know what? That's why James says that we ought to confess our sins one to another, is that by confessing our sins one to another by a trusted brother or a trusted sister in Christ is that... We're only as sick as our secrets. And if we unburden ourselves and say to someone, hey, I'm really struggling with this. Maybe, I, maybe you don't think I, I should be struggling with this, but I am. And if that other person begins to pray with you, it makes your load lighter. Those are the kind of burdens we're supposed to carry. But what about loads? The Greek word for load in verse five re- refers to the responsibilities that are unique to us and must be carried by us alone. Do you see the difference between a burden and a load? There are some things you're not meant to carry alone, and there are many things you're supposed to carry alone. For example, I I have a responsibility as a husband, as a dad, as a grandfather, as a pastor. I have a responsibility for my own personal journey of holiness that I'm still trying to work out. You can't bear that burden for me. You can't be a dad for me. Only I can be a dad to my my kids. Do you see what I'm saying? So there's a difference between burden and load. Now here's the kicker. We hurt ourselves and others when we don't know the difference between a burden and a load. Or to say it another way, when we take responsibilities for the load of others that we were never intended to take. This plays out in two ways. The first is, where overhelping can actually hurt you. Have you ever been on a plane and heard the familiar words, if the oxygen mask drops, put it on yourself before you help anybody else? Why is that? Because if you go unconscious, somebody's gonna have to help you. This is the secret behind loving your neighbor as yourself. We are to love ourselves in the sense of practicing good self care. Now the challenge behind self-care is this. It feels a lot like selfishness. In fact, sometimes it feels exactly the same. But you're going to have to determine in your mind when you're being selfish and when you're simply practicing good self-care. Jesus does not want you to ruin your health by helping other people because one day somebody else is going to have to help you out because you ruined your help, health. Health Helping other people. Does that make sense? So we need to practice this sanctified balance and we need discernment of the Holy Spirit to help us to figure out what's a burden and what's a load. Overhelping can also hurt your primary responsibility, which is your family. Some people have hurt their marriages and children by helping others, but neglecting the most important gifts that God has given them, and that is your spouse and your children. The parable of the good Samaritan is so profound because it's a model of what it means to neighbor responsibly. The Samaritan did all he could do for the badly beaten up man. He put him on his own donkey. He took him to an inn. He stayed up all night with him until he saw that he turned the corner and was gonna make it. And then what happened the next day? He got on his donkey and left the man at the inn. Why didn't he stay with the man who had been beaten up badly all the way until the man could go home? Simply this, the good Samaritan wasn't needed anymore. He handed him off to somebody else who could take care of him. Let me get back again to this one little idea. Sometimes helping somebody else fills a need inside of us that we actually end up overhelping because we wanna have those warm, fuzzy feelings. But overhelping can actually hurt the person by making them more dependent on you than what they should be. Last thought, we help people most by bringing them to Jesus. Mark chapter two, verse four. Then they lowered the man on his mat, right in front of Jesus. What does it mean to bring people to Jesus? Well, sometimes it means just sharing Jesus with them and inviting them into a relationship. But most of the time, I think it really means praying for people. I think we discount prayer, right? We're like, well, you know, what can I do for you beyond praying for you? because we wanna be so practical. But the reality is, is that some of the best things that we could possibly do is to help other people by praying for them because we bring the resources of heaven to them in a way that wasn't before. James 5.16 says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Okay, I wanna take a hard right I'm at the end of the message. I just want to take a hard right and bring up something. Why do some people don't help others in a meaningful way? I think a lot of people have stopped really helping people. I mean, they'll nominally help people, but I mean, they've stopped really, really going pretty far in helping people because somewhere in their past, they've been hurt and taken advantage of. You helped somebody out and they did you wrong. You really sacrificed and they didn't send you a thank you note. You really went on a limb to get somebody a job and then they turn around and mess you over. And secretly on the inside, we say to ourselves, well, I'm never doing that again. A little secret about this message, this passage of Scripture has nothing to do than what I've been talking about today. This passage of Scripture is actually not really about helping people in a responsible way. It's actually about something else Completely. The most important verses in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 is this phrase the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. That's what this story is about. Now, here's what's interesting when Jesus forgave the man's sins, and healed the paralyzed man. He was giving a foreshadow to the cross and the resurrection. And just as those men created a space to lower their friend down in front of Jesus, Jesus created a space in your heart and my heart to receive forgiveness and to receive healing, just like the man. And here's what I think. I think some of you, need to receive a healing today from the wounded, woundedness that you got some time ago because you were trying to help somebody out and it didn't go that well. Would you consider taking Colossians 3.13 to heart? Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anybody who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. This passage of Scripture is actually all about forgiveness and living a clean life before God so that whatever you do for other people, it's always done in the name of Jesus so that when you experience a hurt or taken advantage of, you can let it roll off your back. It may take a while, but you can let it roll off your back and say, you know what? I'm gonna make allowances for their sins because God made a space in my heart to receive forgiveness for my own sins. So here's my question I want to leave with you. Who needs your help this week in a very practical way? Who needs your help this week? And how can you help that person in a responsible way? And is there anything keeping you from really loving your neighbor as yourself? Is there anything in your past that has just hung you up. And I'm asking you today, would you consider just letting that go? I don't know whether, whether it was right or not to um, have some homeless people stay with Holly and I when our kids were just down the hallway. I don't know whether it was right or not to give money to people who promised they'd give it back, but they never did. But I've let go of those things. I just let them go. And that doesn't stop me at all from helping people in the future. Live free. That little thorn in your heart that has kept you from really loving people because of that hurt, maybe it was a divorce, that's a big thing, right? Maybe it was a a friend stabbing you in the back. Just let it go. Why? Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anybody who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you and you must forgive others. Allow the Lord to open up a space in your own heart today so that you can love your neighbor as yourself freely and without reserve, being led by the Holy Spirit to do whatever God wants you to do. Let's stand. Holy Spirit I I just have this I just have this nudge I'm, I'm hoping it's from you but I just have this nudge that you want to invite some people to let go and to forgive I don't know what that means for them but I think you're speaking to some folks about that very thing. So in this quiet moment, if you want to let go of a past hurt that you've been taken advantage of, that you know is still hovering over you right now, why don't you just take a step out in the aisle and say, I'm releasing it to you today and I'm letting it go. It's just that simple. Take a step out of the aisle and say, yep, I'm letting it go. Okay, people are moving. Go ahead, take a leap. Allow the Lord to create space inside of you to lower forgiveness because he has the authority to do exactly that. Holy Spirit, thank you for nudging people. Right now, as people release whatever their pain and hurt is to you, set them free and give them a heart to love people like they would want to be loved. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and all God's people said, amen. Thank you. Holly and I had been out for the last couple weeks. The week before we went out traveling, there was a township truck that had parked right in front of our, our house. And the township guy was doing something. But Holly went outside and just struck up a conversation. And, you know, they were just having a conversation. And this guy said, oh, yeah, we know who you are. And we like all the things, we talk about it at the township. We like all the things you've done to your house. Well, first of all, it felt a little creepy. I'm just saying. But when you live in a small township, I guess everybody knows everybody, right? And, and I thought, oh, they know who we are. We better be on our best behavior. I can't be yelling at anybody in my neighborhood, Right? where you live, where you work, where you play. Surely you can create some margin in the next five weeks to neighbor a little bit better than what you're neighboring now. Would you stand, please? I'm going to pray, during the closing song, if you'd like to start the process of building better community, where you work, where you play, where you live, just come up during that last song, pick up a card, fill out the names of a couple people that you could just lean into a little bit better over the next five weeks. Remember, After second service, now maybe you're going to go home, but I invite you to come back. After second service, we're going to have drive-through prayer. We just want to love on you. I think everybody ought ought to get some prayer. And so we're going to have designated places out in the parking lot, in the front parking lot. You just swing by. One of the pastors, me, whoever, will come out, and we'll just pray over you. We'll pray a prayer of blessing over you. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we want our vertical relationship with you to be right, to be holy, to be pure, to be vital and intimate. But we also want our horizontal relationships to reflect our vertical relationship. Because to love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we prove our love for you by how well we love our neighbor. So God, would you expand our vision a little bit more today to help us the neighbor well so that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.